How's everyone doing? Fantastic. All right, grab your Bibles. I want to get into Luke with you for a second while you're opening up to the Gospel of Luke. You all know my wife, Bethany, right? She likes to use good words, except with Bethany, when she uses a good word, she will pause and acknowledge the fact that she's used a good word. So for example, I think it was last week, we're walking around, we're having a normal conversation, and she uses the word loathe in this conversation, and she pauses, looks off into the distance, her, her eyes squint a little bit, and she says, loathe, that's a good word. And then we carry on, and it's like, hold on, you just broke up our whole conversation to award yourself an award of employing a good word. And uh, she just loves doing that kind of thing, and she finds it really funny. One time, we were camping, and she was using good words. She used the word magnanimous. And I think she used the word appropriately, and it, 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 I think it just simply means generous. And, but someone, it might have been her, it might have been someone else, it was a long time ago. Someone quickly thereafter used the word magnanimous, but incorrectly. And this prompted what turned into a weekend of using the word magnanimous at any and every possible instance, uh, appropriately, inappropriately, or correctly, in incorrectly. Um, so, you know, we're sitting around the campfire, and these s'mores are magnanimous right now. Did you see the sunset last night? It was magnanimous. How'd you guys sleep? Magnanimously. You guys went fishing? Did you catch a lot of fish? We caught in a magnanimous amount. Of fish. I mean, so it's just like we're throwing the word out as much as possible and um, inaccurately, whatever, didn't matter. And I haven't been around Thrive for long enough to say this for sure, but I can say this of Christians in general that there are a lot of terms in the Christian life that we use that way. We just we use them to kind of mean anything and everything. We use them imprecisely, inaccurately, and I think. In Thrive, we're in danger of using, not the word, but the, the phrase or the concept, um, l loving, uh, love your husband, love your wife, love your spouse as Christ loved the church, uh, sacrificial love, these sorts of marriage terms, just with kind of an imprecision and lack of focused uh, attention, uh, care that really is tied up in the concept of love your husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. There's a depth to that and a precision to that that is noteworthy that we ought to spend some time thinking about and contemplating. If we are called to love our spouse as Christ loved the church, what does that involve? What, is, what do we mean when we say that? The text that we got into over the weekend in the Gospel of Luke drew out one of the aspects of Christ loving the church. And if you were there, it was a graphic, somber, intense sermon as we looked at the way before he was crucified, Jesus was beaten and mocked and uh, rejected. And so when we talk about 
loving our spouse as Christ loved the church, what I want to do is look at the weekend sermon, look at the picture of the way Christ loved the church, and then I want to circle back when we're done and identify a couple things that we ought to employ in the way we love each other in our marriages. So, in Luke chapter 22... Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 62. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. Let's remember together what Christ did in his love for the church. This is one piece to the story. The first point from the weekend was to consider the demands of justice. To consider the demands of justice. So... Rather than looking at this passage and saying this is divine child abuse, we took some time to consider the holiness of God, the justice of God, and acknowledging from cover to cover when we read our Bibles, we understand that God will not, cannot let sin go unpunished. He can't simply just overlook it because of his character, because he is a just judge. He has to deal out the appropriate punishment toward sin. And because sin is so severe, sin is so terrible, it requires a massive punishment. This is what necessitated Christ not only dying on a cross, but in this case, enduring uh, mocking and um, being beaten before he even went to the cross. Jesus' death wasn't quick and painless and swift. It was a long and drawn-out process. He didn't die in his sleep. He was tortured before he was put on the cross and went through the excruciating, drawn-out pain of dying on a cross. So the first thing for us to consider is the, the demands of justice. What is it about our God, the holy God that we come to understand in Scripture? What is it that put Jesus on the cross? The demands of justice. The second point was to value Christ's willingness to pay. He went into the cross. He went into the, everything that led up to the cross with both eyes open. He knew what he came here to do. Um, He says in Luke 18, we're going to Jerusalem so that what was predicted can be accomplished. You know, this is is what we're doing. He's not a victim. He's the Lord. Christ was willing to do this, was willing to suffer in these ways. And so that leads to the third point, which was to appreciate a sufficient payment. Appreciate a sufficient payment. Taking 
time to ponder these things ought to result in us having a profound and consistently reoccurring uh, appreciation for the payment that God provided in sending Christ to live this way and to die this way on our behalf. So we talked about atonement and Christ standing in our place, guiltless, sinless Jesus standing in the place of guilty, sinful people so that we could be forgiven. So when we talk about the way Christ loved the church in Ephesians chapter 5, that's the, the reference that I threw out, the one that I think is common amongst Christian marriages. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This passage gives us a piece of what that love entailed. It's a profound love. It's an intense love. It's a sacrificial love. There, there's elements to this love that we observe here in Luke chapter 22 that we need to pause and consider. And so that's what I want to do with the rest of our time. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, I think I can commandeer the... Um, I was supposed to be clicking. There we go. Turn into Ephesians chapter 5, and let's look at verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is the way Christ loved the church. This is what it took this is what it involved for him to give himself up for her and so this is the kind of love that ought to characterize our marriages this is the kind of love that ought to be demonstrated in our marriages so the first thing we can see here is that Christ's love is sacrificial Christ's love is sacrificial he stands in place of others for their benefit and his pain his demise. It's a sacrificial, other-focused sort of love. His innocent hurt for the good of others. It involves suffering. There's another element of Christ's love, and it's that he sees past the temporary. He sees past the here and now, the current situation, and he sees the bigger picture. He's got a long-term, he's got a, what we maybe aspire to having, an eternal perspective. He's got this long-term perspective in mind as he loves because he endures pain. He endures ridicule and mockery and dishonor and shame. He, he presses through these things as the Roman soldiers sit there and punch him and blindfold him and mock him and, you know, call him to prophesy. I mean, he's, he's pressing through this with endurance. So the, how, is he, how does he love the church? By enduring that sort of thing and 
making his way through that, getting through it, not escaping, not calling down a legion of angels to strike him or calling down fire from heaven or getting out of it or avoiding it altogether. Or... He endures it. Uh, he, he sees through the easy ways out and maybe even doubts. He, you know, before he, we get to this passage in Luke where he's being beaten and mocked, he was in the garden and he was praying. And he was praying, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Is, is, is this really the, you know, the way it has to happen? And is, is there a, a different way to get around this? He has a trust for a loving father that allows him to endure through the questions or challenges or difficulties of loving the church. His love is purposeful. It has a strong purpose. So uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And then in verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. There's this goal behind his love. It's not aimless. His love for his bride, his church, has a point. It has a purpose. There's a goal in mind, and it's a good goal. It's a godly, ideal sort of goal. The goal is I am loving and sacrificing and enduring in these ways so that the one whom I'm loving can be holy and spotless and pure and blameless and be presented on a day with having all these characteristics. This is why I'm going through this because there's a, there's a goal in mind and it's a good goal. His love includes care. Look at verse um, 28. In the same way, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So what's in view here is a nourishing and cherishing sort of love, a love that includes care for the other. So Jesus' love for the church includes this sort of care, what's best for the other person. And it's lifelong. The passage goes on, verse 31, therefore a, a father, or, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Elsewhere it goes on, what, God, what Jesus adds, what, what God has joined together, let no man separate, in Matthew chapter 19. So this sort of love is a lifelong commitment sort of love. And... Christ's love is perfect. And I just think this, this is a feature of his love. As we talk about loving our spouse the way Christ loved the church, this is one of the aspects of Christ's love for the church that we can't achieve. And that's important for us to identify. You and your spouse need to be fully aware 
not that this is rocket science, but you can't love exactly like Jesus loved. I think we all are called to strive to love perfectly. We're called to strive to love in these ways, with these characteristics. But one of the characteristics of Christ's love is that it was perfect. It was spot on every time. And we can try for a lifetime to hit that target, but we're going to have to be patient with each other because we're never going to hit it perfectly, right? So that's something that we need to be aware of. So in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32 and 33, Paul announces that there's a mystery to this. This mystery is profound, And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So this is a really significant thing for us to make note of here before we go and talk about it. The mystery is that the marriage union is designed to point to Christ and the church. So marriage, the way a husband and wife love each other, is designed by God to depict Christ Loving the church, the way Christ loved the church is supposed to be pictured in the way husbands love their wives. So what that means is when I fail to love my wife as Christ loved the church, I'm not only letting her down, but I'm also distorting the picture. My marriage is supposed to constitute or form a picture to my family, to the world, my neighbors, of the way Christ loved the church. And when I don't love her that way, I distort the picture. For a while, right after college, I worked with this construction company doing project management kind of stuff, and we were reading uh, plans, blueprints for these industrial buildings, and the blueprints or the plans are there to show you what the actual building is supposed to look like and where the pieces go and how it all fits together. And so, the way what Ephesians 5 tells us is that marriage is the blueprint and Christ is the building. Marriage is the picture. Jesus is the real thing. Or the way a husband loves his wife is the picture, and the way Christ loved the church is the real thing. So we're called to put his love on display for the world. So how do we, how do, we do that? How do we love our spouse like Christ loved the church? I'm going to go back to these features of Christ's love. So if that's the way Christ loved the church, then Christian love in a marriage needs to be sacrificial, see past the temporary, have a strong purpose, all these these things. So look through that list because one of the questions I'm going to ask, actually here, I'll just show you. The question we're going to ask at the end is, what feature of Christ's love for the church can I focus on in an effort to love my spouse better? Okay, I'll let you take a picture of that later. Um, If you want to take a picture of it, you can talk about it in your group. So let's talk through this list here for a second and you can identify areas where you can and should maybe grow in the way you love your spouse. Do you need to sacrifice more? Is your love sacrificial? 
Are there unpleasant or painful things that you avoid or there may be painful or unpleasant things you can do for the sake of your spouse to sacrificially love them better? Do you see past the temporary with your spouse? Are there current frustrations in your marriage that you need to endure and you're not enduring them well? Your love is very temporary or conditional. Is there pain that you need to endure for the sake of your spouse? Is there some sort of humiliation that you're guarding against because you're not willing to love your spouse with that in, in a way that includes a willingness to be mocked? Is there doubt, some sort of doubt that you're having trouble seeing past in your marriage? Are there questions? You feel like there, there's no answers to these things and this isn't working and there has to be some other way. Are you fixated on these doubts or questions when it comes to your spouse? You need to see past the temporary and capture this sort of long-term view. Do you have a purpose, a goal, a godly outcome that you want to see happen as a result of your love? Man, because I love my spouse in this way, I want them to, I want to see them grow in their love for the Lord and their holiness. I want to see them sin less. Do you help them to be more holy? Do you do the opposite? Do you encourage sin or rebellion of some sorts or laziness of some sort? How do you help them to have that sort of goal that, and sort of result? Are you loving with care? Is there care of nourishing and cherishing that Christ modeled for us? Is your love committed to be lifelong? Are you in it for the long haul and just upfront about that? Is your love growing closer toward perfection? Are you imperfectly striving for perfection? Emphasis on the striving, not emphasis on the imperfectly. I mean, are you pressing toward loving better? So, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. This is part of what that involves. It's a profound love, and we ought to give it some good attention tonight. I'll pray, and then you can go to groups. God, we're thankful for the way Christ loved the church. As recipients of that love, we want to express our thankfulness. We want to praise you, glorify you, respond to you, for this love that we did not deserve in any way. And God, as recipients of the love of Christ, we in turn want to love like that. Help us to that end. God, I pray that you would convict our hearts where they need to be convicted and allow us to have a great discussion about 
what Jesus did, why it matters, what the implications are for all of life and including marriage. We love you and thank you for our time tonight and the opportunity to talk about these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.